Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be in Scripture today. If you don't know how to access the Bible or don't have access to it, most of the Scripture will be on the screen. And we're starting a brand new series called Greatest Hits. And I, don't, I remember growing up, like, actually making a mixtape. Like, now you can make a playlist and just share it with somebody. Like, there is no sweat equity in that. That is so easy to do. Like, when I was growing up, I, would, I did not even have the dual cassette player. That was like the rich kids, right, where you could put one cassette in, record it on another one. I had to, like, record the top 40 countdown off of the radio on my cassette player and then, like, splice things together. Like, no, I don't want that song. I would rewind it, wait till the next one, figure out what it was to, to make this mixtape for a girl I liked or just whatever it was. I remember one time I made this tape for a girl. We had broken up. I was heartbroken. And uh, so I made this tape of all these love songs of missing people. And one of them was this song. I don't remember who sang it, but it's called I Miss You. And uh, so it was like number one on my mixtape. And I, I called her up, and I didn't even say anything. I just started playing the tape. <laughs> and uh, it was a sad moment in my life, but I'm still working through it. And, uh, but, we, you know, it's those songs that you listen to, whether you, however you do it today, those songs that, you know, you're in a mood, you're like, hey, I want to get in a happier mood or blah mood, I just want to chill, whatever. We have these songs that are just greatest hits, these playlists in our life. And we're going to actually be studying what many would consider to be one of the most amazing collections of Jesus' teachings during his time on earth. And it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And let me give you a little context of this sermon and help you understand where it's found. It's uh, it's actually very early on in the time of Jesus' focused ministry. He had actually just been baptized by John the Baptist, kind of had that cool moment where there was like a dove descending from heaven and God's voice was speaking, kind of a people are like, who is this guy? What's going on? And then it says he almost immediately went to the desert for 40 days and he fasted and prayed. And at the end of that time, he was tempted. And so he had just had a lot of this alone time, thinking and praying and focusing and he comes back, and as he comes back, he found out that John has been arrested. Uh, and so he begins to take over the teaching ministry of John. Those that have been following John begin to follow Jesus, but they begin to marvel at Jesus' teaching. They're like, we've never heard anything like this. We thought John was good, <laughs> but this guy, we've never heard anything like this. But on top of just his amazing teaching, he begins to heal people. He begins to do miraculous signs, and it says... It says there were great crowds who followed John, but it says there were greater crowds that began to follow Jesus, and they even described them as multitudes of people began to follow Jesus. And his renown in this early going of his ministry became known, it said, all throughout Syria, all throughout, all the way down to Jerusalem, to Jericho, to the whole region began to talk about Jesus and to follow him. It was kind of a, a moment where this, this movement is happening. People all over the region are, are following and talking about Jesus and what does he do at that moment. Matthew 5, 1 and 2 tells us what he does. He says, seeing the crowds, he went up on a mountain and he sat down and his disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them. This great crowd of people gathered around him. He sat on a mountain and he began to teach. And, you know, he literally holds a rally, holds this call to action. He gives a dissertation on what it means to follow him, to be a part of the kingdom of God that he is establishing here on earth. Now, there are arguments out there about how this actually happened. Like, did Jesus 
sit down once in this miraculous moment like God amplify his voice or were there certain things going on with where he was sitting that allowed his voice to be amplified so thousands of people could hear at one point? Did he just have rotating groups in and like he was giving the same sermon over and over again? A couple of weeks ago, those of you who are our, our family or, or some of you that are visiting, like I spoke 25 times in two weeks. Like I was tired at the end of, like if Jesus, like if only like a hundred people could hear him and they had these thousands of people coming, did he give like 500 sermons and just same thing over and over again? Or did he, you know, well, how did it happen? The truth is we don't know. And it's okay that we don't know. But what we do know is how powerful, radical, distinct the context of this teaching is. It is the teaching of Jesus. I don't have to know how Jesus delivered the sermon to understand it contains life-altering truths that were calling people to live a radically different life than they had ever heard before. These greatest hits of Jesus have been playing on repeat now for centuries and continue to top the charts of some of the most influential words that have ever been spoken. Matthew 5 through 7 literally contains some of the words of Jesus and some of the words, the most influential words ever spoken on this earth. And that's what we're going to look at over the next few months. We're going to take a look at these key teachings, spend some time trying to learn how our lives can still be impacted by these words and understand what it means to walk with Jesus according to his own words and his own teachings. And so what I've done is I've divided the Sermon on the Mount into eight sections. Because the truth is, if we just read the Sermon on the Mount, it's a 15-minute sermon. Like, I can read it in 15 minutes. And you're like, why do we have to spend eight weeks talking about it? And why are your sermons about 30 minutes every week when Jesus only needed 15? You Because know, I'm not near as good as, as Jesus is. But, uh, but it's these greatest hits that we're going to look at, these, these key moments. We may not look at every verse, but we're going to walk away understanding the major themes and some specific commands, promises, and philosophies of what Jesus was teaching. And each week... Since this is called Greatest Hits, I actually associated a hit song with each one of these sections so they can help us remember uh, this section and, and what it is. And today we're going to look at Matthew 5, 2 through 22. And before I tell you or show you the song, I'm going to tell you this was a struggle for me because I am not a country music fan. Like I grew up in Georgia. We have some people from Georgia and all around the South here today. And like country music is king down there. Like you have to like search on a radio to find a station that's not country, but it is not my genre. My brother who's here this morning, where's Jay? Jay's up there. Like when I, he's three years older than me and he could start driving before me and he would like, I literally felt trapped in his car because the only station he would listen to was country. And I'd like, hang my head out the window like anything besides this wailing of voices that just, anyways. So, but the song that fit best with this is a country song by Rascal Flats called Bless the Broken Road. And so you're going to hear it for a little bit, not too much because I can't take it. 2004, number one U.S. hot country charts, peaked at number 24 on the 100 chart, 36 million copies sold of this country song. I set out on a narrow Even guys are sad. many years ago, huh? hoping I would find true love along You guys are going to get mad when I cut it off. There we go. I couldn't see how every sign pointed straight You didn't have to turn it up, DJ. That every long lost dream led me to where you 
All right, that's enough. That's enough. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to listen to it, download it. It's streaming anywhere. But the reason I picked this song is because it actually talks this beautiful message of this broken road, these unexpected things that happen in our life, this path that we don't think maybe we're supposed to be on, but it leads us to a person we fall in love with, or it helps us grow in a way that we're not expecting. And this initial teaching of Jesus in these first few verses in chapter 5 is us learning that following him is going to put us on a path that's very different than anything we have ever experienced. The path of following Jesus is not the highway. It's not the quickest way there. It's not the easiest, most direct path. It is a path that often leads to broken parts of who we are. It deals with issues we don't want to deal with. It takes us to places we never really wanted to go. But once we get there and we have a counter with Jesus and have a connection with him, it changes us and we leave a better person. This broken road that we think we're on, it's not the beautiful stretch of highway with no obstacles. It's this winding path full of curves, unexpected detours. We'll stop, we'll sightsee, we'll linger in places. We'll often have to make it through difficult hazards or maybe torrential rain and snow that will try to slow us down. This journey with Jesus isn't a race to finish. Instead, it's this meandering path that will delve into the depths of our soul and take us to places we never thought we could reach. And too many of us approach following Jesus as a race. If I got to get done, I got to do better next. What's the next thing? Let me go as fast as I can. We're competing with other people and we're how far am I ahead of this person or where am I compared to last year? And what I want you to hear this morning and we're going to hear in these teachings, it's, it's okay to walk with Jesus slowly, to take it in, to sit for minutes and enjoy a connection with him. Because the goal isn't to make it there, wherever there is, whatever we consider spiritual maturity. The goal isn't to make it there the quickest. The goal that Jesus set before us is to make it through this life experienced, seasoned, accomplished, wise, mature, capable, confident, and competent, a veteran a spiritual exploration. He walks with us, he talks with us, he helps us understand, and then we stop, take a break, and he takes a deeper truth and really delves it into our life. When PJ was in sixth grade, I got a call one afternoon that I needed to come pick him up from school. He had gotten upset, my son PJ, if you don't know who that is, uh, he had gotten upset, and uh, a kid, he had a, PJ was on crutches at the time, and or had been on crutches, he was just off, and uh, anyway, a kid kept kicking his foot that he had been on crutches on, he was upset at the kid, and so PJ took his pencil and jabbed it in the kid's leg, and uh, so I got a call, it's not, it wasn't like sticking out and blood gush, it was like a little bent piece, every time I tell people that, it's like, oh my gosh, you know, did they get it out, and all that stuff, but anyways, he uh, had to go pick PJ up, because they said he's done for school for the day, and uh, so I picked him up, and You can ask him about this story. Like, I picked him up, and I didn't say anything. Like, I'm still processing what do I need to teach my kid in this moment. And I thought about this place not too far from the school uh, in the mountains. There was a little mountain area of where we lived at the time that I could drive. And you could walk this pathway back, and there was a beautiful, like, little creek area and a little uh, reservoir of water with a bridge. And I was like, I just want to take him to a peaceful place, and we'll talk about this. So I'm coming to with this in my mind. PJ thinks my dad's not saying anything. He's about to kill me. 
And then I get him out of the car and start walking him into the woods. And he's like, people are never going to see me again. And anyway, we get back there and uh, we have a sit-down talk that I still remember to this day. I hope he does too of like, how do we deal with problems? How do we? It was like a defining conversation that we kind of went off the beaten path, stopped and talked. And that's what Jesus lays out in these teachings, in these first few verses, that they, these topics are going to take us from one phase of living to another. They're going to change how we think. They're not just transitional, they are transformational in how we understand what following him is all about. And the thing is this, is we have to learn to have these moments, to stop, talk, go on the meandering path with Jesus and have the difficult conversations. So what I want us to do is to jump into these and see how this happens in our lives. And so we're going to look at a few verses today. If you're familiar with scripture, these are called the Beatitudes. I'm not going to talk about why they're called that, but these are just, it is conversations. The best way to understand this greatest hit of Jesus, these are conversations that Jesus wants to have with you. These are moments that Jesus says, let's talk about these. And they, it's a pathway that he's leading on. And you're going to see where he's going to lead us. So he says this. This is what he teaches to begin with. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Jesus begins his journey by coming alongside us and telling us very simply and a very profound truth this. You can't do this life alone. That's what being poor in spirit means. It says to be poor in spirit means that we need to lose the wealth of pride that we have in our life. We have it all together. From birth, we are people who think that we know how to do everything on our own. We think it's up to us to figure it out, to make it happen. We're naturally self-righteous, self-reliant people. We are rich in our own spirit. The ultimate authority in our life is myself. And when things start to fall apart, when things start to feel difficult, I look inward for the best solution. But Jesus says the blessed road, the road that dealing with our broken nature and being willing to place our faith in something else beyond ourselves. That's how we begin to move forward. That's how this journey begins. And it's with one key word is that we actually have to have faith. We actually have to start to place our faith in something besides ourself. And Jesus says, that's me. That's the kingdom of heaven. You have to change your focus from looking inward to deal with everything in your life to looking outward. And this is how he says you will then what? Experience the heaven, kingdom of heaven. You'll begin to experience it. Until then, you're just playing around with it. You're just having an encounter. You're just kind of having a moment with Jesus versus a journey with Jesus. And I know so many people. I've grown, there's been times that this is true in my life when my interaction with Jesus has just been, hey, hey Jesus, how you doing? Can you help me with this one problem? And then I'm back on my own. I take whatever I can get from him, this, this peace I can get from him, and then I'm back in charge of my life. And we have these encounters versus a journey with him. To get on this path, to get on this journey that he's going to lay out for us, it has to, we have to embrace faith. And faith is simply the belief that absolute truth, absolute wisdom, and hope are not found within me, that they are found in something outside of me. And we believe as followers of Christ, they are found in a relationship with Christ and a connection with God. It's believing that Jesus is good, that God is good. I can look to him 
and find goodness, that God will supply all my needs according to his riches, not my own wealth. And it's hard to move past this verse to the next ones because the next ones are going to snowball off of this. It's hard to move past this unless we start to embrace faith. And I know there are people in this room who are still struggling with that, still asking, what is faith? How do I place my faith in something I don't know? How do I begin to, to walk out something that I don't fully understand? But that's what makes it faith. That's what makes it a step of faith is me going, I'm, try, I'm going to at least step out and see because I realize I am not the answer. I am not the answer. So let's look at the next one. Matthew 4, 5, 4 says this. Then he said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, the truth is this. When we begin to walk with Jesus in faith, it won't be long until the first major broken part of our soul comes out to this world, which is tragedy. Something bad is going to come into your life. So immediately, you're like, all right, Jesus, I'll place my faith into you. And you take a few steps, start down the next pathway, and then something trips you up. Something bad happens. You get a bad medical diagnosis. Something bad happens in your family. There's a breakup. There's a challenge. You lose a job. Your children rebel. Your spouse gets angry at you. People abandon you, betray you, hurt you. And we start to immediately cry out, Jesus, why? Why? Why did this tragedy come into my life? I thought you said this was a blessed life. It says, I'll be blessed. A happy life. But there's still pain. And this is where Jesus invites you to stop, sit down, and have a chat with him. Because what he doesn't tell us to do is just suck it up, get past it, get over it, move on. He actually tells us to stop and mourn. He said, blessed are those who mourn when tragedy comes into their life, when difficulty comes into our life. Because why? This is where you experience comfort. It's where comfort comes from. When you stop... It's not the avoidance of tragedy where comfort comes from. It's in the midst of tragedy when you learn to step forward. And this is the word. And it's not just having faith in Jesus. This is where we take the next step is we learn to trust Jesus. We learn to trust and go, okay, like it's not making me avoid bad things. It's walking through me with the difficult parts of my life. And this is believing this. As much as faith tells us that God is good, learning to trust in God is believing this, that God wants good for you, even in difficult situations. God's not punishing you. God's not out to get you. Jesus isn't tripping you up behind you. He's not one of the things that my kids get all angry at me all the time in the city. I come up and like kick their heels in the back and trip them as they're walking. Like, Dad, stop, you know. But that, we think like Jesus is doing that in our lives sometimes. Like everything was going good, and then boom, he sent this into my life to get me, and he tripped me up. And that's not what Jesus is doing. He's like, look, when tragedies come, I am here. Let's mourn this together. I think one of the reasons many of us, including myself, struggle at times with anxiety or, or fear or just that feeling of overwhelm is we don't take time to mourn. We don't actually take time to, to allow the pain to be processed with God in our life, to allow his truth to come into our life. And trusting Jesus is this. It removes the simple-minded thinking that our life should be free from moments of tragedy, deep sorrow, and instead we embrace the truth that character, courage, and determination and endurance are, are developed in moments of pain 
instead of moments of comfort and ease. My true character will be developed. True endurance will be happening in my life, not through moments of comfort and ease, but through moments of pain. And many of us don't have depths of trust in Christ because when pain comes, what do we do? We get mad, we get angry, and we run back to self-reliance. We jump off the path. We want to get on the highway and get through this as quick as possible instead of continuing to meander with Jesus. So if we learn to, to be poor in spirit, to, to have faith, to actually when tragedy comes, let our trust be built, then it leads us to verse 5, and it says then, Then blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, if you're able to journey with Jesus through our pain and our mourning and experience, his comfort takes us to the next step along this path, which is meekness. Now, if you've been around, we've talked about meekness before. Meekness is one of the most misunderstood aspects of Christianity. It's not weakness. It's not this shy, mousy type of personality. It's actually defined as power under control, under authority. It's trusting Jesus enough to have submission to him, to submit to him. And this is me learning to trust him enough to say, you know what, he got me through this last difficult time. I'm willing to listen more and more as I now walk <laughs> forward in my faith. And this is why he says, you will inherit the earth. Sometimes we think like Jesus is a genie and we've got to learn the right prayers, the right things, and if we rub the right way, he'll grant us our wishes. But Jesus says this, your, your wildest dreams, every desire of your heart will be fulfilled if you learn to submit, you will experience in the, every part of the earth, all of it, whatever it is, is yours in the right way that he wants us to. But we often actually stumble and kind of grumble at this point of the journey. And while faith and trust are challenging enough for some of us, the idea of submission to anything other than myself as the ultimate authority goes against my very nature. Like, I don't like that word and I'm not going to do it. Like, it's not something we like to live. And we feel like when we do this, we're kind of letting ourselves go. And I want you to hear this morning, you're correct. You are. When we submit to the Lord, we let ourselves go. But this is not a bad thing. Because most often when I'm in control of my life, when I take full power, I drive myself into a ditch. I drive myself into pain all the time. I remember when my cousin Gretchen was starting to drive, they lived up the street from us. Her mom and dad had just bought like this brand new Jaguar. It was a beautiful car. And I still don't know why they let her drive it. Like when she first like got her learner's license. But she was driving, I mean, maybe half a block down and around to our house. And she would come in. We're all standing outside waiting for her to turn in and like congratulate her on a good drive. And she turned in and she didn't make the turn. She didn't turn enough. And instead of hitting the brake, she hit the gas and she drove right over our mailbox and planted that Jaguar on top of this huge bush. And the wheels were just... And everybody starts screaming and running. And it's like, you know, you put power in somebody's hands who doesn't know how to handle it, and they're going to create problems. And the truth is, I know in my life, and I bet it's true in your life, when you take full control of your life, you usually don't end up in the places you want to be. And learning to submit to Christ, to have meekness... And to say, I'll not just trust you, but I'll start to submit to you. Let's us experience this world like we've never experienced it before. Which then leads us to the next conversation. This next pathway, verse 6. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. 
once we can walk in me meekness and submission, something unique begins to happen in our lives. We start to develop new desires. Things that we didn't like before, we start to like. Things that we thought brought us joy and happiness before seem empty in our life. The idea of just accumulation of wealth, power, prestige, knowledge, personal accolades seem to lose their significance, and they're replaced by a desire to serve, forgive, and honor others, to love your neighbor, to love your enemies. And what we hunger and thirst for changes for the first time in our lives, and it says what? We will be satisfied. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, you begin to be satisfied because the new desires bring lasting satisfaction in yourself. And at some point on this journey, you're going to sit down with Jesus and say something like this. I don't recognize myself anymore. I'm different than I used to be. This will make us feel uneasy. It'll make us feel unnerved. But it's actually a beautiful sign of contentment beginning to grow in your life. And as you start to see that you're hunger and thirsting for righteousness, it will direct your paths from toward that instead of for selfishness. We start tasting and experiencing things that we never did before. I used to hate coffee. Hated it. The smell of it was okay, but like the taste, I don't know. Like I remember one time at Starbucks, I got one of those Frappuccinos, and I told them no coffee, just uh, all the sweet stuff. And it was uh, wrong. They gave it to me. It was mocha cappuccino or a mocha Frappuccino. And I'm like, I'm not going to, and I took one sip, and I could, like, barely taste the aftertaste of coffee. And I was like, nope, and I threw it away. Like, I, did, I didn't want, now I can't get enough of coffee. Like, I love coffee. I don't even like Starbucks anymore. Like, it's bad coffee now. Like, I go to the good places. I want the deep, you know, I can smell it, and, you know, I treat it like it's a, you know, a treasure. I'm like, oh, I can smell it. I think this was Ecuadorian or whatever, you know. And so I, I just love coffee. Now, I taste things different, and it, it, it satisfies me in a different way because I tuned my taste to it. And this is what hungering and thirsting for righteousness, when we submit and we start to do things for that, these desires start popping up that we got, I got to, the only place I can have this fulfilled is in Christ, which then leads us to verse 7 on this journey. The next path that we walk down, is, it says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And on this broken road, as we start to have our lives changed, we start to see the just how we view ourselves, but it begins to change how we view other people as well. Mercy will start to flourish in our lives, and we'll start to experience compassion for other people, compassion for all people. Compassion begins to show up in your life like never before. And you may say, you know, I, I love, you know, I've been a Christian a while, and I'm happy to study and things like that, but you just never experienced compassion. Like your, your view of other people hasn't changed. And maybe it's because you haven't got to this point on the journey yet. This isn't a deep conversation you've had. This isn't that path you've meandered down yet. But Jesus is saying, look, once these things start to come alive in your life, we start to realize that no revenge, no retribution, no retaliation will bring healing and hope into my life. Only allowing the mercy that flows into my life to flow out to others will allow me to receive and feel the fullness of mercy. The mercy of God is like a running stream. It can't be stopped. It's not designed to be stopped. It's designed to flow into my life, all around me, and then through me to other people. It's why it says his mercies are new every morning. It means whatever mercy I experience today, I should be demonstrating to other people. Because tomorrow morning, I'll have a whole new bag of mercy for me to pick up and live out of. We start living out of compassion. And then verse 8, something else changes in our life. It says, then, blessed are the pure in heart, 
for they will see God. This road will eventually lead us to a place where we want to purge ourselves of anything that is getting in the way of us staying as close to Jesus as possible. We want nothing to interrupt this contentment and blessed life that we're experiencing. Our, our faith and trust, new di- desires are showing up. We're living out. We're, we're experiencing contentment, starting to grow in compassion. And we're like, this is the life. And then we start to see things in our life that don't add up anymore, that don't add value. Things that we used to make idols. And we said, this is rubbish and trash now. And we want to get rid of it. And this is why it says, those that are pure in heart, they will see God because our focus changes from things that used to bring us joy to only focusing on God. And this shows up in our life in holiness. In holiness. We don't want just a portion of our view to be Jesus. We want him to be the lens through which we see the entire world. I want you to hear this. This is not Jesus trying to convince us not to sin. Jesus didn't come. He's like, I'm going to spend the three years of my teeth. I'm just going to try to convince you not to sin anymore. It's like, it's, sometimes we treat it like we're having this never-ending debate with Jesus, this tug-of-war, like, how much can I get away with? How, you know, how much of you can I have, and how much of the world can I have? And is this tug-of-war, like, my balance, is this good? And stuff like that. What I want you to see is this. I, get, I want, I will come to the point where I'm so hungering and I'm thirsting and I want to be pure in heart that I will want the sin out of my life. I will want to eject it. We won't deal with sin in our lives because Jesus finally wins the debate or because of fear of consequence. We will deal with sin in our lives when we start to see that the fruits of peace and contentment that Jesus have to offer that never fade or perish. And we will want to expel anything in our lives that keep us from having more of him. This is what pure in heart means. Start emptying out the trash and let the fullness of Christ happen. And then the last two things happen. Kind of a different corner that we turn here. Matthew 5, 9 says this. He said, Then blessed are the peacemakers, so they shall be called sons of God. Our walk with Jesus starts not to just to bring peace, contentment, and hope into our lives, but we start to be peacemakers in this world. We start to be people of influence. Of influence. A peacemaker is when we cease to be an instrument of destruction and instead become purveyors of peace everywhere we go. It's not just that we are experiencing peace, but when we show up somewhere, we bring peace with us. It spreads like a virus. It, it goes out wherever where we go. It's part of who we are. It's the, it's the atmosphere we bring into a room. Maybe you've been around these kind of people that are so connected and have been so on this journey with Christ. When they walk into your presence, you just feel the peace of God exude from their life into yours. This isn't just showing up into a conflict and saying, hey, let me solve this problem. It's walking into any environment and living in peace, not based on what you're facing or where you are, but who you are bringing with you and the confidence of Christ that you walk into that room with. I I remember in high school, I used to be scared to talk about my faith. I used to be scared to speak even that I sometimes went to church. Like I would I'd do it kind of in hushed tones, like, what did you, you know, I'd, we had youth group on Wednesday night, and somebody on Thursday would be like, what do you do, what did you do last night? And I'd be like, oh, I went to church. You know, just, they're like, what? Oh, nothing, you know, it's whatever. And I remember one time I, I went to Fellowship of Christian Athletes. It was a club we had on, on Friday mornings, and somebody <laughs> saw that I was coming out of the Fellowship of Christian Athletes room, and they're like, hey, why do you go to that meeting? And I'm like, 
instead of bringing peace and excitement to my faith, I was like, well, because they have donuts. That's why I go. You know, it was just, it was, it was scared for me to do that. I, I did not have the confidence of being a peacemaker, of walking in and going, I have peace and security in who I am and what's going on in my life so that when I walk into any circumstance, I can stay in peace and let peace flow through me. You become an anchor for other people. That's what a peacemaker does. It's somebody that in a struggle in their life, they can hold on to you and begin to think about what they need and how they need to have that anchor as well. But then verse 10 tells us this. It says, Then blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sakes, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The final step on this broken road is understanding that you are going to come across people who don't like what you're doing, who don't like the way you're living. They don't like the influence that you're gaining and the sin that you're exposing and the contentment that you're offering to people. They will oppose you, persecute you, say vile and evil things against you. It's going to happen. But guess what? That's okay because there is nothing that will sway me from getting off this path at this point. I am so anchored in the, in the truths of Christ at this point. I have been on this path for, for years. I've been on this deep path. It wasn't just a quick journey. I've been going a long time. I have such a depth of relationship with my Savior, with Christ, that words, vile arguments against me, they don't hurt. I'm not saying they, don't, they aren't painful to hear, but they don't cause lasting harm because I'm living with a determination, a determination that cannot be shaken, a firm foundation, it says in Scripture, that we have this firm foundation in Christ. And this is why it says that when you are persecuted, yours is the kingdom of heaven. You live from a different point of view, a new hope, new desires, a purity of heart, a compassionate spirit. You are truly a veteran of spiritual exploration. Now, as we close, why, why don't we get there? Why didn't this happen in our lives? I think one is we maybe have never seen this full picture. We take pieces of this. Like I get sad and it said, oh, blessed are those who mourn. They'll be comforted. So I, maybe I should just need to be a little sadder. Or we'd be like, blessed are a pure in heart. And so I was like, all right, I guess I just got to do better. Or blessed are those, whatever one it is. And we like pick and choose. We cherry pick these things when we need them. And what I want you to see today, this is a journey. It's not a grab bag that you pull one out at a time. This is a pathway. And this is why Jesus led with this. This greatest hit, this moment. He's saying, look, to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, to follow me, get on this path. And it starts with faith. And I think the other reason we miss out on this sometimes is sometimes we as Christians that have been on this path, when we talk to other people about it, we start with the back end in mind, like, hey, if you're going to be a Christian, it's going to be rough. People are going to hate you. People are going to speak vile things against you. Like, they're going to come attack you, and people are like, okay, no, I'm out. Like, why would I choose that? Instead of bringing them to a point of saying, would you make a simple choice of just being poor in spirit? Would you for the first time, maybe start looking outside of yourself for an answer instead of inside. Our goal in our lives and to help other people is to simply try to get them on this meandering path with Jesus and allow his truth, his grace, his mercy to impact their lives. And my question for you today is this. Will you walk down this blessed broken road with Jesus? We just walk down it. Don't run. Don't get ahead. Just meander. Whatever trial comes, 
whatever opportunity for compassion comes, whatever sin he exposes in your life, don't run from it. Stop. Have a moment by the lake, having a conversation with Jesus. Let that deep truth transform you and change you, and then move on to the next journey. Will you bow your head and close your eyes with me? God, as we uh, just take a moment right now, just quietly to talk about where we are on this path, to think about where we are on this path, it's this idea that we've got to get over thinking that it's just about coming to you in a moment, and instead it's about taking a journey with you. God, I know for many years growing up in church, I just had these moments with you. But this journey is amazing. And I pray wherever people are in their journey with you right now, in their encounters with you, that they would be willing to, to consider taking the next step. Maybe it's to consider what it means to have faith, to be poor in spirit. Maybe there's a tragedy in their life and they've been asking why and they been hesitant to mourn with you. Maybe they've got to grow compassion or become pure of heart and hunger and thirst for righteousness. God, help us to walk this path and allow the broken parts of our life to literally bring us straight to you. God, thanks for this invitation. Thanks that you ask us to do this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.